This show is sponsored by Duncan Cold K Cups. Duncan Cold K Cup pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. It's convenient and tasty. You brew over ice, straight out of the Keurig coffee maker. You just brew over ice and you sip them in seconds. You're going to love these Duncan Cold K Cups. Enjoy the bold, smooth Duncan taste you know and love. Find Duncan Cold Coffee in the roasted coffee aisle. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, yeah, sure, what's the catch? Well, uh, there isn't one. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. The team here at Literally has tried Mint Mobile out, and this is the review. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. It was great. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan, for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Rolo. Oh. Look at him. Look at, look at that chiseled Adonis person. <laughs> I, I just got a haircut. How did you get a haircut? I'm so fucking jealous. Catherine. No way. She did a pretty good job, huh? Did she laugh all the way through it? The whole time. <laughs> right? Wow. It's like I'm looking right at her. <laughs> well, well, well. Welcome to Literally with me, Rob Lowe. This is my podcast. And this is my first episode of my podcast. And I got to say, this has been insanely fun. Talking to friends that I'm interested in, friends that hopefully you're interested in. Um, And this has just been an amazing, amazing new journey for me, this podcasting thing. And um, I've been recording a lot of them during this COVID lockdown. Um, uh, some were remote, some were in the studio, um, but the, the, the breadth uh, of the people that have shown up to literally has just been amazing. And I cannot wait uh, to begin this journey with you. Finally, we're starting off with a bang. He's one of the biggest movie stars of the day. Um, he's got every club in the bag, as they say in the golf world. He can be dramatic and sweet and funny. Um, he can do action. He can. He's smart as shit. Um, he's handsome. He's romantic. He's he is the 
new prototype of the leading man and one of my best pals. He does not have as good a golf game as he would like to think that he does, but look, nobody's perfect, including the great Chris Pratt. Now, your your wife has the one of the most unmistakable laughs in oh, history, for sure. don't you think? Oh yeah, the first time we started dating, the first few days she was laughing so much, like I was like, God, I'm really killing it, and then she was really laughing. I was like, Uh oh, oh no, does she have an issue? Is it is there an? Is she's got a thing going on? Is this right. this is why this is why she's single? She has mm-hmm. like uh, I thought she was like the Joker, you know how he carries around that card? Like I just laugh all the time. I can't help it. But um, it turns out she doesn't have that issue. She just thought I was funny, and it was really nice. Can you imagine if she she inherited that laughing thing? Like that's that's the weird part of the Kennedy gene. That's like the part nobody talks about. Like, <laughs> like they can't stop laughing. All the lesser Kennedys suffer from. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you. Um, I'm it, for me, it really works because I'm always trying to make people laugh, and so. She likes to laugh. I make her laugh. It's a good fit. I don't, you know that I don't make Cheryl, my wife, laugh. You know that. You've, you've been around us enough to know that Catherine's a great audience. I married somebody yeah. who's a terrible, a terrible audience. Here she is right now. She's delivering me coffee. C- come on in here. We were just talking about your amazing laugh. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, that was a sec. That was your public. Oh, I'm very. <laughs> well, because I just get, you know, so much criticism for, um, you know, my the laughter that never stops. Your sons make fun of it. It's like a whole thing. They do. By the way, can you cut my hair? Because you did a killer job on him. Did you use shears on the bottom of it too? Like yeah. a shaver? Lovebug knows how to do it. Wait, who taught you? Did you go Google something? What happened? Your your wife taught me many, many years ago on your head when we were in um, Milan. How to cut hair? Yeah, she taught me. Well, how, she hasn't offered to do anything for me. No, Chris, it looks really good. <laughs> Yeah, she killed it. She, she hasn't offered job. to do anything for you. I doubt that. <laughs> well, there is that. I mean, she's always pretty good about that. Otherwise, let's face it. I I wouldn't, you know, have survived as long as I have. That's true. She takes very good care of you. She does. Well, bye, Rob. I, I love you. I love you. So I was laughing about the fact that you and Catherine were watching St. Elmo's Fire together the other night. <laughs> it was on. It was on. It was on. Well, we were watching... Uh, my best friend's wedding. That's a good one. On TV. Yep. I was like, oh, whoa, that's cool. It was like, you know, young Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz. And I think I always get them confused. Dermot McMulroney. Dermot Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney. And I always get the two confused. But uh, yep. we were watching that on TV and St. Elmo's Fire just came up next. I was like, no way. It's St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> so we watched that. And I had actually never seen it. And I, turned, and I was looking at Rob. And you were, how old were you? Were you 20? I was 20. Dude. I, I couldn't were, legally drink. It was amazing because, like, you, your character is, like, this, you know, drug addict, sex addict kind of guy. And, but you're so attractive and so enigmatic and so charismatic. Like, you're, that saxophone scene, like, you were just, like... Uh, every girl in that, you know, everyone was in love with the character and you can see why you're just so charismatic and there's like, Aww. no, you shouldn't be able to get away with the stuff that that character was doing and still be so beloved, but you were, and it's your charisma. I just was like, it was, it really was dawning on me because I've no, I know, of course, your work from, from your life and from, I had just never seen St. Elmo's Fire. I, I've seen 
The Outsiders, and I've seen, you know, The West Wing, and of course, when we met on Parks and Rec, so I know your body of work, but seeing you at that young age, it was like, it was just <laughs> fascinating. It was fascinating to me. I don't think I fully realized, because that was the generate that, that, that movie really was made up of the def- that generation. It defined that generation. There are movies like that that happen every generation, and it's like, that was that Brat Pack. But of that whole group of actors at the top of their game in that time, you were the one with, with the most charisma. And, and it was just, I mean, everyone was great, obviously, but it just seemed to me that you stood head and shoulder. I don't want to compare you to them, but you were just so, you just really stood out to me and, uh, and to everyone in the world, obviously. So it was really cool to see that and, and just to see um, how the world must have seen you back then. Cause I know you, you're such a different person now. Do you think um, it was just because of the hair mousse and the haircut? <laughs> I think it had something, of course it had to do with your hair. Tell me, you look sexual. You look sexual. I looked. I looked sexual. You looked sexual. I looked said. sexual. Yeah, you just you looked like you wanted to have sex. Why? Well, I, I did. Like I looked at you then, and I was like, "Oh, he is then what kind of like Harry Styles is today to this generation." Just like, yep. You know, physical mm-hmm. attract. It was just a, an attraction. There's a charisma and attraction there. It was. It was youth. It was like the youth, beautiful youth personified. It was really cool. Joel Schumacher, the director, uh, was it was very kind to me with the close-ups. I think I think I definitely got more close-ups than anybody else in that movie, which always helps. Well, you could really hold a close-up from no matter what angle you were at. That was in the era that this is how you know it's dated. That there was a saxophone player in a band, like in right. the eighties. Every every song, every song from from I'd say from nineteen seventy. Two, yeah. To nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Every song had to have a sax solo. Every song and the score of so many movies. Like if you look at Lethal Weapon, I wanted to watch it the other day. I was like, "That's I've been I've been you know hitting the. It's been hitting me that some of my favorite movies growing up suck. Yeah. And that the only reason I liked them is because I'm an I was an idiot when I was ten. Yeah. And 100%. Like, you know nothing holds up. Yeah. And I was like, Lethal Weapon holds up. It's got to. And I put it on. I was like, ooh, that's a lot of saxophone. Really? Yeah. Watch it. Every, and it's weird. Like, I, I don't, I kind of does. It does. It, it holds up. It, it holds up. But it is also like, you know, stupid. It's a little bit dumb. I, um, I've been in, in quarantine. I've been having the boys, particularly John Owen, who, as you know, is a writer, um, catch up on movies that they've never seen before. And it's been Great. really interesting. Oh my God. Really interesting to see like what, holds up to them and what doesn't. Oh, exactly. Because they're a great test audience because they don't have like the sentiment around it. What have you watched? Well, it's interesting, but also he has that weird thing of being new in the business. He's aware of the movies that he's supposed to hold in huge esteem. Like Mm. we all know those movies we've heard about forever that are the greatest movies ever. And the truth of it is maybe we've seen them and maybe we haven't. Right. So um, the movies that you're supposed to say are great. Yeah. Even if you haven't seen him. Yeah. I was the guy who loved Casablanca for years before I saw it. Yes, exactly. I was like, oh, Casablanca? Uh, oh, I mean. Probably, probably top five movie. <laughs> and never don't, get me, don't get me started on Casablanca. <laughs> don't, get, don't get started. <laughs> Same with Citizen Kane. I was a big fan of Citizen Kane. And then I saw it, and guess what? I loved it. <laughs> it's really good. And same with Casablanca. But, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, know, I know that. I do that all the time. I pretend I've seen something because you don't want to – 
and it's funny because you just hope a tiny little white lie can get let off the hook. Like how far, how far will you go with it? You know what I oh, mean? One, like, yes, 100%. <laughs> fr- frankly, kid, I don't give a damn. That scene. Well, that wasn't even constantly. I had a neighbor once who you just, you just say, you just nod your head and kind of go yes or no mm-hmm. as your answer. And you can kind of get away with it. I learned that from my, may you rest in peace. My sweet, sweet neighbor growing up, Rory, was a member of the Special Olympics and, uh, and was a talker. A real talker, loved to communicate and talk, but also had a. You sometimes said with a speech impediment, he had he had a little bit of difficulty hearing or like understanding him. Hmm. So sometimes you get caught up in that, like saying yes and no, just in case because you didn't actually know what the question was, but you wanted to be polite and answer it. I'm going to use it because you know I'm deaf in one ear, and half the time I can't hear what anyone's saying. Is that true? Yeah, I'm deaf in one ear. Look at the way I'm. See the way I have my headphone on. Oh, I thought you were just doing like a slim shady thing. No. <laughs> Yeah, no. I, and so I, a lot of times, if somebody's on my deaf side at a restaurant or, or in, a, in a, I just kind of, I usually nod yes. So right. I got to do work in that. The way you're doing your head right now is good. It's yes, nodding yes and no at the same time. I need to practice it in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Another yeah, thing you can say is, is, is your answer is yes, no, because that can mean yes, or it can be no. You yeah, no. Yeah. No. Oh, that's really yeah. Oh, yes. No. Yes. No. Because the the answer could be the answer is yes. No. The answer is no. Or it could be yes. The answer is no. So if you say yes, no to something, then then they just take they they read whatever the answer should be. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. And then if so they're confused, good. you reiterate it. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. 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 Yeah. No. So yeah. So the kids were looking at movies, and they didn't. They didn't like Patton. Yeah. How about they didn't like Network? Network didn't stand up for them. Really? Yeah. Network didn't stand up for them. And the one and what they loved, which gave me faith, is they. John Owen had a a out of body experience watching The Graduate. Oh. Out of body, and and then loved Harold it. and Maude. I loved Harold and Maude. What was your favorite movie and TV show growing up? Were you like a $6 million man guy like me? I wasn't a $6 million man guy for TV. I mean, I kind of grew up the, the, for television. A lot of after school specials. Oh, whoa, like, whoa, 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 stop there. Have you seen my after school specials? Wait, I don't, maybe. Which ones? Uh, it's been a while. How about Schoolboy Father? <laughs> I don't know. If I did, it's been a while. All I remember is learning some good. It was back in the day when I was very young, like I said, uh, you know, low bar for criticism. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was back when television really cared about instilling values in kids. And so yeah. their after school special would be about your conscience or doing the right thing or making sure, you know, if a stranger talks to you that you tell somebody these kind of things. So I remember like getting like, I feel like a lot of my moral compass in life came from those types of movies. Yeah, my, my, mine was don't, be, don't become a schoolboy father. Don't do oh, like, like a kid who's in school who becomes a father? Yes. Wow. How old? How old of a father? Fifth, fifth, 15. Oh, I thought you were going to say fifth grade. I was going to be like, what? <laughs> oh my God. That's so great. <laughs> 15. Yeah. Hey, listen, don't do that. If you can, if you can avoid That baby no. had to be given up. Is that true? I could not care for it. No, no. Dana Plato from Different Strokes. Is that was that who it was? Yeah, she was the uh, the mother of the schoolboy father. It was called Schoolboy Father. Well, that was the best because the titles were always exactly what the plot was. 
They just like yeah. put it right out there. Yeah. You know, one's going to be like, what's that about? No, no. And but they're always way ahead of their time. It was like, you know, my mother's bulimia. Yeah. Like, oh, this is going to be a story about a girl whose mother has bulimia. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. All right. Yeah. They don't leave anything to question. My mom loves those, still loves those. She'll call me and tell me the plot of one of those movies. Oh, boy. As if it, like, legit happened to someone yeah, oh, for sure. that's yeah. really close to her. She's like, mm. and you're not going to believe it. The guy next door was actually spying on her the whole time. I'm like, what? What? You, can, you can't even write this kind of fiction. <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, mom, that's, but she loves them. So those, those were my, those were my, I like the after school specials, but, you know, then I grew up in like that. That strange time of TV where I don't know if the stuff was good or if it was just good because it was all that was available, which I feel like happens. I feel like that was the case. You know, you see it in these emerging markets. I saw it when I was in China. When we were doing Jurassic World press in China, they had just opened up the country to, you know, entertainment beyond just state-sponsored television. So, like, they only had a handful of channels. It feels like what America must have been in the 50s or something, you know, like right. the 50s and 60s where you had like news, you had NBC and ABC or something like that. You had like two networks right. and a news channel. And it was like in China, it was the same thing. They had like a, a government, a state sponsored weather news kind of channel. And then there was one channel that had some kind of entertainment, but it was the only entertainment channel they had. And you look and it's like really low production quality because there's just not that much competition, you know, but people really like it. And I think I lived through that era. It was maybe in the 90s with shows like Full House and Family Matters and, you know, like uh, like uh, the one where the little girl's a robot with Small Wonder. Oh, that was amazing. You know, these kind of shows where if you watch them now, you're like, this is it just we've come so far. Yeah. You look back. No, no, you can like, say it. They're, not good. They're, they're not good. They're not good. How could I have? How could I have loved them so much? And it's because there just wasn't a lot of competition, you know. But then, it, then small like, wonder. In, but small one. And they, but then, like, yeah, like oh, that's uh, so good. Well, there was the one about a Butler, Mr. Belvedere, Mr. Belvedere. Mr. Belvedere. You know, like well, listen, like Mr. Show. Belvedere was that. That was like you know, magnificent Ambersons compared to you know. <laughs> By the way, that's another movie people always talk about. The Magnificent Ambersons. It's Orson Welles' finest oeuvre. That one I've never seen. I've never seen that one. People go on and on about that one. I use it only as a punchline for very obscure reference jokes. Um, oh. The, yeah, the the small wonder, God, I can't believe that you brought that up. That was amazing. The girl played yeah, the robot. Yeah, like a guy who made a little girl robot. Mm. And no one at the time ever questioned whether he was a pervert. Like, if we made that now, you know that would be the question. Be like, why did he make a little girl robot? He could have, like, first of all, he fucking cracked the code on artificial intelligence. Like, like, like uh, our AI sentient being intelligence. And he and he wants to just make. I mean, it's kind of cute. He makes himself a daughter. Actually, it'd be a pretty good movie. Now, I'm gonna go out to Dakota Fanning's people and see if she's available. For oh, me. see now, look at how quickly you've turned. You're like, <laughs> wait a minute. So this is what happens when you get a big production company like you have now. You're like yeah, all, just mining yeah. hit Quick. movies out of fucking everything. <laughs> Stay tuned. Parks and Rec after the break. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 
2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 911, what's your emergency? I can't find Captain Nash and his wife's cruise ship. Tonight, 911 comes to ABC. If we're going to make it out of here, we got to work together. Tonight at 9 on ABC, followed by 7 News at 11. This is why you watch 7 News at 5. This breaking story is happening as we speak. To get breaking news from the alert desk. When I know about it, you'll know about it first. So you're always connected with what's happening now, only on 7 News at 5. When it really changed for me, though, and this is probably around the time that my own comedic, critical self emerged, for me, when TV really changed, two things happened. America's Funniest Videos and um, In Living Color both came on the scene around the same time. And I remember that was like, I have, I'm laughing my ass off every night that I watch this. I have to see it. I, I tuned in. And, you know, Funniest Home Videos was amazing. But then In Living Color was something completely different. It was like, finally, the comedy was matching the sign of the times. Like, you had, like, this diverse cast. It was really funny, super cutting edge. And even even and at the time, everyone's like, can you believe how cutting edge this is? Wow. That to me is when things started to really pick up in the world of TV. But as far as movies, I was the guy who just loved uh, 90s, like action movies, like anything, anything. Oh, yeah. There you go. There are certain things that do hold up and you're like, yes. I'm glad that that holds up. You know what I mean? Like Ghostbusters holds up. Goonies holds up. Yeah. Uh, Footloose holds up. Oh, uh, dude. Footloose. Um, you know, you know. I, I've told you about my audition for Footloose, right? Did you audition for Footloose? Oh, yeah. I got to hear this. So there, there are a couple of scripts that I remember of that era where you read them and you were just like, oh, this movie's going to be a hit. Yeah. This movie is a hit. I have to be in it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be in it. <clears throat> Top Gun was one. Yeah. Footloose was the other. And and the producers, Craig Zayden and Neil Marin, really liked me. And the casting was going to be coming up. And so I started taking all these dance auditions. And I'm not like really a dancer or anything, but, you know. Uh, so they did a dance audition, not an acting audition, just a big dance audition at Paramount. I, I remember at a stage. Whoa. And all the actors auditioned together. And we all had to learn to dance to the Sticks song, The Best of Times of All Songs. How's that go? What's that song? The Best of Times. I don't that I don't remember anything other than that. Wow. Um, and it was probably just as bad as my version of it <laughs> now was. And um, anyway, at the end of the dance audition, it ended with a a jump to your knees and a slide across the floor. And when I did it in the audition, I blew my knee out and they took me out in an ambulance. I left the Footloose audition on a stretcher. Whoa, I did know that. Of course I know this. But the best God, part, and this amazing. is when I learned that Hollywood is just nothing, if not a bastion of truthfulness, was when they said, don't worry, it's okay. We are, we've decided we're not going to hire an actor anyway. We're just going to hire a professional dancer. Then I read that <laughs> Kevin Bacon got it. 
Hey. Well, I was recuperating. That's amazing. I, you, <laughs> it's as if dancing. First of all, if you're not a professional dancer or you're not a professional singer, trying to do either of those things as a professional actor is really embarrassing. Right. You know, right. like as an actor, I can do anything. But if I have to sing or I have to dance, it's really embarrassing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you sing great. You sing. Wait a minute. You sing great. We all know that. I don't sing. I don't think so. I. It's been. It's like pulling teeth to get a good. It's like I sing like I golf, which is if you give me enough tries, I'll get it right. But if I have to do it live and go play scratch, I'm gonna definitely. When I shank it into the bushes, it's gonna be embarrassing. You know what I mean? But like, when you when you sing Mouse Rat, when you're when you're doing Andy as Mouse Rat, oh, I think every I've seen a Mouse Rat concert. I've been to a Mouse Rat concert at the rap. Party. It's true. It's, a Perks and Rap. It's true. And you crush. That's different. Though. That, oh, that's nice. That's different because it's a little, well, maybe that particular voice of doing like a comedic, you know, uh, parroting of like Eddie Vedder and and, yeah. and yeah. Darius Rucker, you know, I'm doing that sort of like <laughs> 90s rock voice. And so yeah, in yeah, that yeah. regard, I, I, I've trained to do that. So I'm just not like a trained singer. Maybe if I had like, what's my rock, what's my voice? And also it's comedic. So, so I'm comfortable in a comedic space. But if I have to, like, I remember one of my most embarrassing auditions was going to sing, I fucking sang some stupid fucking song from, like, oh, it was, like, from the... Les Mis? uh, It was from Les Mis. Aladdin or something. Did you audition for Les Mis, dude? No. 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 Jean Valjean. Chris Pratt. (laughs) I don't think so. I just, it's not my forte. But uh, but certainly dancing as well, like, you know, because there are people who do this professionally. And when they when they do it, you just look bad trying your best to hack it out. Would you have would you have um, been able to pull off the audition for um, Stars Born? Could you have sung that <laughs> damn song? Oh, man. Come on. Why yeah, can't we need the I name? Can do, I'm going to do I could do that. I could sing country. I can sing country. I'm working on something. I'm going to work on I'm doing with something. Garth Brooks. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of top secret, but I, I can say that much, I guess. No, we don't know. No one's no one listens to this podcast. This podcast is a complete. <laughs> I'm disaster. gonna do something with Garth. I met Garth and and we are trying to do something together, and I think in it I will sing some country, which is pretty cool. Um, I would listen, it, it, if it's not Mouse Rat, it might as well be Garth Brooks. Yeah. Oh, how good is Garth Brooks? Garth Dude, Brooks he's is the best. so I, good. I saw his one man show, his one man show in Vegas when he had a residency there. Unbelievable. It's one of the greatest. Um, he just literally comes out, what do you guys want to hear? And sometimes he would play songs he didn't even know. Wow. Yeah. It, but on top of that, if you watch that show, it's a very, it's not just him going up there and just doing like calls out to the audience to play songs. It's a really well written, well paced, funny show that talks about the evolution of music in America as he yeah. saw it from a young kid who loved Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and then growing up through the era of 60s and 70s, 80s into 90s. Like, it, it, if you watch it, you realize at the end, like, Garth Brooks is a massive hit because it's truly the, it's truly the next evolutionary step in American music. Picking up after what had happened from the greats, you know, like the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, into the early 90s, like the best. You have to watch it. The best songwriting, not just the melody of the song, but also the lyrics of the song. Like, you know, he he does he goes into this bit in his show 
and you can watch it. It's so good. But he talks about how at first, uh, you know, there was like an era where the melody was great, but the, the lyrics made no sense at all. <laughs> and he's, and then he performs these songs, you know, and he's like, it's so funny. Like the melody is great, but the, the words that they put to it, just meaningless mumbo jumbo. Or they just go, la, 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 la. He's like, what do you, what, you, you totally missed an opportunity to say something there. Instead of just saying, la, 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 la. And then he, and then he goes into, how about when the lyrics were great, but the music was terrible. And he got to the point where, where he evolved into putting really great stories to songs that were also musically really uh, impressive. And so I, I'm a big fan. He's, he's an American musician and he's the best. I think he's the best. I need to ask, cause people are going to be pissed if they listen to this and we don't talk about parks and rec. I need to know, like, first of all, how fun was doing the, um, doing our little reunion it was fun, right? That was, Oh man, it was really fun. It was fun to watch. It was fun to be a part of it. You know, it was funny cause we signed on Mike sure reached out said, you guys want to do this Parks and Rec reunion? It took about 10 minutes before every single person on the thread confirmed, you know? Yep. No one checked with their people. They were like, yes, I'm in. Let's do it. Okay, let's go. Right. 10 minutes later. And so I was like, that sounds great. Let's do it. And then they sent the script, which they'd worked on. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so much work. Like, <laughs> I think we all just signed up for this thing kind of forgetting what it took to do an episode of that show. I know. But also to do it in quarantine because we're so spoiled as actors, especially me on that show. At the time, I lived seven minutes from the studio. I would drive to work and be about 10, 15 minutes late every single day, roll out, get it, go through hair and makeup in 45 seconds, you know, step on set. I haven't read the script. I don't know what the dialogue is. I, I, that's, it was perfect for me in that regard, because Andy was never like, never carrying that much emotional through line weight. You know, it was just like, it was like, if we're a jazz band, Andy was like a weird instrument that would come in. And as long as I kept timing, I could, I could freestyle and do anything I wanted in my, or like, you know, I could just riff. And as long as I stayed in timing, I could, I'd say whatever I want. So I would of course look at the script a few minutes before and and then give them a version of that. But then it would spin into something else. It was a lot of improv for me to do that character. And so when I was doing this, I forgot, like, how much work it was, you know, because <laughs> right. you can, it's not like I had, it's not like I could just show up on set and they'd tell me exactly where to go. We had to do all this shit ourselves. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow. I got to set up a camera and set up some lighting and, and. I'm going to have, I'm going to memorize all these lines because I have to, because I don't have, I can't really play off of anybody because there's nobody here. It was, it was really hard, but I got to say it was really worth it. And it, and it worked, it looked great. It was really fun and funny and great to see everybody. And it was a good cause. So I felt really positive about it. I, I, I just love how people loved it. So, and then that they loved the, the, the 5,000 candles in the, <laughs> yeah. in the wind. That song just lives forever. It really does. The first time I saw how much people must have loved that song was watching Nick Offerman do his one of his one-man shows. Yes. And at the end, he was closing, playing 5,000 Candles in the Wind. And it was just like, you take out your guitar and, you, and it just opens with a, you strum the guitar with no, no lyrics. Dun, na, 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 dun, 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 d
And so you do that. And but before he was even singing a single lyric, everyone knew what the song was. It was like so fresh in everyone's minds. I couldn't believe it. And so he would sing that and everyone would sing along. Everyone knew it. I was thinking about my favorite Parks and Rec moment with you that you and I ever did. And I have two of them. One's a famous internet, you know, gif, which is I'm in the foreground doing something and you're behind me doing the ape walk. (laughs) That is that. Yeah. Which is, which is one of the, when you gave me the toe shoes, I gave you the toe shoes. Yeah. Which is, I think one of the first scenes you and I ever did together. I think so. Yeah, that's right. Pretty sure. The toe shoes thing. I also remember. Do you remember whole foods? Yes. It's whole foods. Yeah. Going to whole foods. We, we just ran amok. You just ran amok and just with a camera crew, just did whatever we wanted. And my whole thing on Parks and Rec was just to cause destruction and and break shit that they didn't know they were going to have to pay for at the beginning of the day. Like, yes. I love just breaking stuff. And so I think I brought, was breaking stuff at Whole Foods. I, like, walked down the aisle with the coffee and just opened the coffee thing because I knew we had a budget to pay for 70 pounds of coffee that would spill all over the floor. <laughs> so I just open the thing and all the coffee came pouring out. Like that was unscripted. Did a lot of stuff with fruits and vegetables and you pushing me around in a cart. I remember that. Um, I, I, you know, listen, I think the whole seat, the whole going to, when you were able to pull up the thing with Irsay and go down to Indianapolis to go into Indiana and shoot that uh, bachelor episode where we went into Colts oh, stadium, that's right. Lucas oil stadium. That was, that was so that's, sad. I'm covered in goosebumps right now. You can, that's official. I'm getting, goosebumps oh, it is. Look at your face. That was so cool. We wanted to shoot there. I, I'm friendly with uh, the owner of the Colts, Jim Irsay, who's one of the nicest men. And I called Jim and asked him if we could come and shoot in in the stadium. And not only did he let us shoot in the stadium, because obviously Andy was a huge Colts fan and wore, you always wore the receiver's jersey, right? Reggie Wayne, yeah. Reggie I wore, Wayne, I wore Reggie yeah. Wayne's jersey when I got married. <laughs> yeah, the best. <laughs> and uh, so we got, not only did we shoot there, that we had Andrew Luck and Reggie Wayne in the scene. And That's Jim, right? right? That's right. And yep. I remember Andrew Luck, you had to go and catch a pass and you caught every single pass Andrew Luck threw you. He yeah. was insane. They were like 55-yard bombs too, like he was bombs, throwing from, lasers. He was throwing from 50 yards out to the end zone. And and flicking it with his wrist, he never even wound up. He's like thunk thunk. Yeah. I did. I caught every one. I couldn't believe. Remember it. you were kicking the field goals? Yeah. It's the first time I ever tried to kick a field goal. I never was ever in a position to try to kick a field goal in football because I wasn't the kicker. And so, like, yeah, I remember kicking field goals. We got we were hit like a thirty-five yarder or something. It was awesome. I was cold, I was drenched in sweat. I was about forty pounds heavier then than I am right now, and I was just drenched in sweat, having so much fun. That was that was that was pretty remarkable. Yeah, just like well, when we were in doing that sequence, Morgan Sackett came up and said, "I just need you and Pratt." to really do this because you're the only two men on the show who who know how to even hold a football. <laughs> <laughs> and you think of it, you didn't want to see Aziz and Zari throw a football. Adam Scott <laughs> couldn't identify a football from a basketball. And Nick could, couldn't throw a football. Could it was he just not? you and me. That surprised me. Just us. Ah, oh, God, I can't remember. That's true. Right. Wow, I, I don't remember that part, but that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. You know it's right. Remember when? Remember when? Oh, uh, when we did that scene 
where I had to slide across the hall, across the countertop, and then I threw the briefcase across oh. the room, and oh, yeah. it smashed into the light socket or the light switch, and literally broke the light switch off the wall and shut all the lights off in the whole building. Yeah, that was a Burt Macklin. It was a Burt Macklin scene, right? <laughs> yeah, the Burt Macklin moment. Yeah, yeah. I just it wasn't scripted that I throw a briefcase. I don't even think I was supposed to grab a briefcase. I think I just literally saw somebody's briefcase and slid across the countertop and then improv that I'd just stolen it. Then you improv that I need, I should probably put it back. And then I threw some stranger's briefcase ac- across this office we were renting. It hit the light switch on the wall, smashed a hole in the wall, and then all the lights shut off in this. <laughs> and it's all starts with, with an improv. Yeah. You saying I've stolen this and I go, you need to put it back. You should probably put that back. Yeah. Sure. Put it back. <laughs> oh, that was so fun. You also, um, it's famous uh, in in within the family of Parks and Rec. We all know this story, and it's been told a thousand times. But but I'm sure there are people who don't know it. That it's pretty much a given that you you have the single greatest ad lib in the history of Parks and Rec. Oh, you know that's this, right? Mike, yeah, you, that's what Mike you, says. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, and I was in that scene. I remember it. So it's it's. Uh, well, go ahead, tell tell the story because it's so good. Well, I remember just sitting there, like, for some reason, Andy was allowed to work at Jim's. Oh, it's the flu season episode, which is so good. You're so, you have a, I don't know. That's a pretty great improv that you have in that same episode. I have stopped pooping in that one. Stop yeah, pooping is, 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 I would honestly, in all modesty, it might be the second best. Yeah, that was pretty damn good. And, stop and ev- everyone is, <laughs> yeah, stop pooping. Um, everyone was in the office. Or everyone in the office got sick, so I was taking over for somebody sitting at Jim's desk or something. And so basically, I'm just sitting in Jim's position, t- talking, and I wasn't even any of a line in the episode or in that in that scene. Sorry. And um, Adam is walking, or you know, uh, Ben is walking Leslie out, saying, "You probably have a fever. You have the flu. You need to go." And then Dean, I think, directed the episode and was like, hey, Pratt, do you want to say anything? We might we might, ca- <clears throat> we might catch you. Or Tom, the camera operator, said, we're kind of catching you in the background. I was like, yo, give me Mitch. Put a mic down here. I might want to improv a, a line or two. So they stuck a mic on the desk. And then they were walking out. And I improv the line where I said, I had the computer in front of me. I said, Leslie, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here. And it says you could have network connectivity failure. Or something like that, or network network connectivity problems. <laughs> that was a good. That was a good no. And Mike sure gets so mad about it because he's like writes jokes and he said he's very he, he's very generous. And by the way, he writes amazing jokes all the time. But he's always been very effusive in in complimenting that joke. He says it's the perfect joke because it's it's a hilarious. It's it's a, it's story point driven. It, it propels the story, and you're the only character who could have said it. Ah. That's I mean, you think about it. That's why it's so great. Like, like in theory, anybody could have said stop pooping and, and it would have been funny. Andy's the only person other than maybe Jerry, who is an idiot, uh, who could say you have network connectivity. Right. Right. And it fits into the idea that I'm a little fish out of the water in the office that I'm trying really hard. But I obviously don't know what I'm doing with the computer. Yeah. I, I, you know how I know, I know that it's a good joke here. I'm patting myself on the back for this joke, but I, I know it's a good joke because every once in a while I'll repeat it to myself and laugh. So like a joke <laughs> that makes you laugh every time you hear it is a good joke. 
you know. When, when I need to stop pooping, I yeah. say to myself, stop pooping, and I laugh. And then I continue to poop. <laughs> and we'll be right back after this. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I don't think I've seen you with that actual haircut before. I think you need to keep it. I took it down low because I was doing Jurassic World and I had to have a certain hair length. And then they sent me home. They're like, don't cut your hair. And now it's been so long. I look like a like a Fraggle Rock character. And I don't think they're going to be opening up uh, London long enough. I'll be able to grow back into it. But I thought I would take it down because it might be one of the last times I can have short hair. So you've got also you've got a, I was dealing with Catherine who kind of just went buck wild with the razor. So I don't know what she did. That she went crazy. Um, so you were how, how far done were you on Jurassic before Not they even shut close. you down? I mean, we only like two or three weeks in. No way. Yeah, we got a lot left. We have eighty something days left. Eighty days left, and then Guardians is next for you. Uh, well, no, next is Terminal List. Well, it's going to depend because I know that I have a, a slot for Guardians of the Galaxy with, with like that we're you know in that we've made a deal on that, but I also have closed a deal for this show Terminal List. Um, is that the TV series? Yes. Yeah. It's at Amazon. Uh, it's with MRC. Antoine Fuqua is directing. He and I are both dude. executive producing. It's based on it's based on this book that, dude, you have to read this book. And you know who else would love this book is Matthew. Matthew would go crazy for this book. Anyone who's like a gear guy, it's written by a Navy SEAL about mm. a former spec ops guy who, you know, uh, is the is the lone survivor of a massive attack overseas and comes back um, with kind of uh, failing memory and uh, of what had happened and then realizes he's starting to get blamed for it, but then unearths darker forces that are at play. And so it's this it's this it's kind of a revenge psychological thriller. And it sounds uh, amazing. It. It's so awesome. And the way that it's written um, by this author, Jack Carr, it's. It's really fast paced, but it's super authentic to the point of view of a Navy SEAL dealing with everything from like the Warcom brass all the way up to the Secretary of Defense, how they, you know, without giving away any tactics, because anything that a Navy SEAL would have to write would go through the DOD, they'd have to like sign off on it. So there's some redactions in there, but it talks everything from like not just warfare, but also uh, espionage and and, you know, um, Using electronics to to find the enemy, and you know, like using cell towers to ping people to track people. Like it's it's kind of got some spy stuff, some war stuff, but it's all authentic and it's based on you know the real experiences of this guy. And so he comes back and basically uses some of the tactics that had been used against him as his squadron against these dark forces. So everything from like you know, he becomes an insurgent in America trying to weed out some evil forces that are trying to take him down. It's so Dude, sad. is there a part for a, a Navy SEAL that plays the saxophone in it? <laughs> there is now. I'm down. There I'm, is now. I, I I don't know if we can afford you, but but dude, we'll do it. Um if you if you play Billy, like Billy went on to play the sax in in, in <laughs> 
He he tried to get in. Bill, my character in San Almas Fire tried to get into the Navy SEALs, but he was too pretty. They're like, fuck you, oh, pal. Get man. out of here. Yeah, get out of here. Too pretty. You're like, fuck you. I quit anyways. Um, <laughs> you can't just, fire me. I quit. That's a line in the every movie in the 80s had that line, I think. Don't you? Oh, fuck God. you. I quit. Yeah. But you can't fire me. I quit. Yeah, that one. There's a, there's a good long list of, of lines that exists in every 80s movie. There's like, um, there's like, uh, it's quiet. A little too quiet. A little too yeah. quiet. That's in every one. There's like, um, uh, where you're going, you're going to have plenty of time to think about it. There's that. Like, that's what you tell the bad yeah. guy before you put him in jail. Oh, there's this thing where you're in front of the computer and you go. And you say, we're in. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, you like click the thing and we're in. You break through the firewall. We're in. God, there's so many of them. You know, a lot of people don't realize that you had to learn how to bat left-handed for Moneyball. I love that little factoid. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, how about that? And I love the story, um, and I'll tell it so you don't think that no one will ever interpret it as you being in any way disrespectful to to Pitt, which you're not, and no one should ever be because I love him. He's a genius. But you have that beautiful swing that's in the trailer for Moneyball. It's in the coming attraction. That slow-mo trailer where your character hits the big home run. Yeah. And then when you go to the movie and you watch the movie, you're like, oh, we're going to see that great shot of Chris in slow-mo. And you step into it and they cut to Brad Pitt's big mug. Is that true? Yes. And you hear Oh, that's right. I always wondered why. Yeah. You don't actually see him hit the home run. Let me, here's the thinking. Hmm. You're Brad Pitt. You're like, so this movie's about me. I'm the star. This is the big moment. I wonder who the, if it should be on that guy who lost all the weight from Parks and Rec or if it should be on my face. Hmm. I think it should be on my face. <laughs> In all seriousness, I, I'm being funny. I don't mean that, but it was, I love that shot. It's so. They did have the swing. You did. In, you had the swing, the- man. How hard was that to learn how to bat laugh? I couldn't do that. I don't, there's no way. It was not easy. It was like wooden bats. I remember the first, here's what happened. The f- I went to the batting cages thinking, because I had to do like a, I had to do like a, a tryout. I had to go to a physical baseball tryout. Before the acting? Before, 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 the- to, before I got the movie. Like I needed to show them. No, no, no. I think I may have. Yeah, I think I needed to prove to them that like I could physically be a baseball player. You know what I mean? Right, so right. I was doing that, hitting the ball. I went to the batting cages and I was like, I'm just going to bat right handed to try it out. I, the first swing I took, I, it was a, with a wooden bat because I was going to have to use a wooden bat. I hit the ball, and the bat jammed my thumb so hard that, like, I thought I broke my thumb. The first swing at the batting cage. Oh. I was like, oh, my God. I had a giant purple bruise on my hand right oh, here. Jesus. And so I was like, and I had, like, two days before the tryout. So I just had to practice with this massive, giant welt on my thumb. Like, talk about an actor. Like, I have the bitchiest actor hands. If my dad were alive and he shook my hand right now, he would slap me across the face, probably with my own hand. They're so yes. soft and supple. I haven't worked a day in my life, you know? Like, they're so, so gently soft. And people say all the time, like, oh, my God, you have soft hands. I'm like, I know, it's so embarrassing. Then I, do, I rub lotion on my face, and that's yes. pretty much all the physical labor that these hands will have uh, for a whole week. And so, naturally, I did my swing, and my my bitch ass actor hand popped. Uh. And 
So I had to do the whole tryout basically with a, th- a thumb that I felt like was going to fall off. But I still swung through, and I kept hitting the ball, kept hitting the ball, and they gave me the part. And so I, I, I did hit, learn to hit left-handed. And, and down underneath the Oakland Coliseum, they have one of those uh, pitching machines that throw the ball 100 miles an hour, Ugh. you know, which is not like two wheels the way like you typically think of pitching yeah, machines, these a, two wheels. And it, the jugs the jugs gun is the, is the two, is the jugs, I think they call it. Yeah, this is, the one this, with is the arm. this is like a metal arm yeah. that they spring it back and then it lets go and the arm throws the ball. I think that's the only way you can like throw it this fast or maybe that's just the one they had. But we could crank it up to 100 miles an hour. Ugh. And I got to tell you, I was able to hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball with left-handed. Now, I'm not, I have no illusions that I'd be able to ever – I'd get struck out 10 out of 10 times if I faced a major league pitcher, no doubt, because they're not throwing repetitive strikes exactly. right down the middle at 100 miles an hour. So, like, you can time it out. You start swinging before the ball even, before the ball even leaves the arm. You start your swing to try to hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And, but, uh, but, um, you know, that would just throw a change up and a curveball, and I'd be, I'd be screwed. You throw a slider, oh, yeah. I'd miss for sure. I'd get struck out 10 out of 10 times, right handed or left handed. But when it came down to movie making, I could do it left handed. It's a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And it's funny, I don't know if it's something about that uh, as I get older and I see more things, like it sometimes. Sometimes I'll watch a great movie and I'll know instantly it's great. Oh, my God. And then there are times where I'll watch a movie and go, I love this movie so much, but not realize it's great and not realize that I'm watching a movie that from now on, if I ever come across it on TV, I'm going to have to fucking watch the whole thing. Right. And Moneyball is one of those movies for me. Yeah. For sure. It, it is good. It is a good, good, good movie. Although there is one thing I would have told that daughter to fuck off at the end. I would have been like. I'm like, you know what? I'd be like, hey, I could be the the most highly paid GM for the Boston Red Sox in history, and I'm throwing it all away so you can play that damn ukulele for me again? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but that's just me because I'm a misanthrope, and and you like the money. That movie would just be called Money. Have you worked with anyone yet where you were like? Oh my god! I can't believe I'm working with so and so. Like I'm, ve- I'm very jealous that you got to work with Denzel. I'm very, very jealous. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty that's pretty intense. I mean i I can only I mean I can just only imagine he's he he's the man. I mean he's he's the he's got to be yeah. our greatest actor alive. Got to be right. I think he might be. I mean. I think he's the he. I think he may be the greatest leading man, a lot. Right. You know what I mean. He's not like a character actor. I think like you know Daniel Day Lewis is probably or Christian Bale, to me yeah. might be the greatest finest actors. Like where the instrument is there, the medium, the clay with which they work is the human spirit and the physical presence and the sound, and they can completely change exactly who they are. Denzel is probably the greatest leading man though. I think he's got like a sense of pathos and uh, dignity and yeah. the perfect amount of handsomeness and the great, a great voice. But like, you know, he, he's never been a goofball, you know, he's never, he's right. never done anything to take away from his leading man 
image in, in the choices well, it's like, it's like characters Red, that he it's, plays. It's like Redford famously would never – Redford's never really played a bad guy until recently. He finally did on something. I don't know what it was. Captain but, America, I think. Yeah. It's Captain America, yeah. right? That's the first time he's ever played a bad guy, yeah. But in his, you know, heyday, which is an extraordinary run, and he's one of my favorite stars, yeah. leading men, actors. For sure. I mean, he did talk about a baseball movie, The Natural. Yeah. <sighs> Dude. Um, but you're right. He never, you never saw him singing, take me out to the ball game out of tune. Right. Or yeah. with the wrong lyrics. Like somebody has, I don't, I'm not yeah. mentioning names, <laughs> but it was me. Um, <laughs> you could have been Denzel, bro. You blew it. You did take me out to the ball <laughs> game. That could have been you in training day. That's all that's kept me from two Oscars. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I mean, I, I'm a man who knows my limitations. Had I not done that? Um, Had you not done that, do you play saxophone or was that all fake? No, I fake play it. And wow. I can fake play the saxophone. You fake like, play the shit I once, the saxophone. I once was like, um, so, so David Foster, who wrote St. Elmo's Fire, wrote the, the song. He does a lot of big charities and plays St. Elmo's Fire. And he and I have a thing where he'll be like, oh, Rob Lowe, are you here? Hey, do you still remember that sax solo? I sure do, David. And I come up and they've pre-rigged the the the, the sax so there's no reed in it. So yeah. you, I couldn't make a noise with it if I wanted to. And wow. there's like a guy behind the curtain playing it. <laughs> and I, I did that once as a joke. And then thought it would be like the old thing of a, you know, where like the piano is playing and then you take a drink and realize it's a player piano. Yeah. I thought I was going to do that thing, but I got up there and started blowing and everybody was going fucking ape and thought, clearly thought it was real. And then my actor's ego got involved <laughs> and then I couldn't give up and then I just doubled down on it. Dude. And, and then I looked out and there was President Clinton and, and he was, and he was going like, yeah, yeah! Woo! He was losing his shit. Oh, at that point, now if you give it up, and, then, you, then you're in And trouble. now if you I give it up, I feel like, right, so, so I kind of finish and I scurry back and Cheryl Lowe's so angry with me. She's like, you're such a fucking asshole. She is, she's so pissed that I <laughs> that I did it. And I was like, I, I felt like I pulled, I, and Qu oh, and, and, and Rashida's dad, Quincy Stop. Jones was right he in front of me. signs you right there. He was right in front of me and he was going in and I, I, he was yelling, you blow Rob Lowe. He was yelling at me. And wow. And, and I was like, dude, the fucking bell of the sax is right in front of your face. There's nothing. There's nothing coming out of it. And so I was all flipped out about it. And I thought, well, it, it'll let bygones be bygones. Nobody would care. Remember. And two weeks later, I got a handwritten note from President Clinton asking me to come to Washington to do a saxophone duet with him. Because he really plays the saxophone. He really plays it. And I'm like, Dude. oh, what, 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 really, what do you do? Do you go, hey, so by the way, I don't really, what do you do? So. You say, you can't afford me, Mr. Clinton. I called David Foster. I said, David, we have a problem. <laughs> President Clinton thinks I play the saxophone and wants me to do a duet. And he was like, um, yeah, I already solved that. I said, how'd you solve it? He goes, well, I'm recording Barbara Streisand. And I told her the story and she was irate and she called President Clinton and said it was all bullshit. So this is when I really knew I was in show business and I'd made it. I knew I'd made it. I was like, I'm in a shame spiral with the President Clinton 
David Foster and Barbara Streisand. I've made wow. it. Wow. That was, that was the moment that you knew? That really? was the moment. I, that's so crazy because my moment that I felt like, wow, this, I might, I might've made it also involves Barbara Streisand. Come on. I swear to God. I went to a party with my trainer. My trainer happened to do training for and security for uh, Ron Meyer. You know, yes, Ron the great who the one of the great mo- uh, agents and and uh, businessmen and ran Universal movies yeah. forever. Yes, and and so I went with Duffy, my trainer, to this party at Ron Meyer's house. I didn't have an invite. I just went as basically his trainers. Plus one. I've been to that and house. Those parties are hardcore. Unbelievable party. And I got up there and there was like Jim Carrey was at this party. Jim Carrey, like I told you, in Living Color, Jim Carrey was my man. I love Jim Carrey so much. Yeah. And I had to tell him in the moment what a great, how much he shaped my life. And that I chose my manager based on who his manager was and all this stuff. And he told me all this stuff. And he was like, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, <laughs> he had, I had a great moment with him, a great conversation with him where he was like, He's, he said to me, I'm kind of getting off topic here, but I'll get back to what Barbara Streisand said that made me feel like I'd made it. But Jim Carrey's uh, a bigger name right now, so just stay with Jim Carrey. Then we'll get <laughs> and so Jim said, like, uh, he was like, you know, one thing that's, that you'll see that's strange is that you've become a wonder of the world. And he said, which means you can no longer visit the wonders of the world. He was like, I was in Machu Picchu and I've never felt worse because I got there and everyone turned their cameras on me. And so I stood there in front of something that I just wanted to be in. I just wanted to be in awe of this thing. And it was distracted by other people being in awe of me in the presence of this great thing. And he said, like, he was like, your life is going to be forever changed in that way. Like you've become a wonder mm-hmm. and you, that takes you out of the running of, it was something along those lines. And I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. So if Jim Carrey hears this one day and it's like, I've never met Chris, you did meet me, but also it, it might've been, he might've said it slightly different, but it was like that. But Barbara Streisand came up to me and she's like, you, you're the guy. And I was like, what? She goes, how does it feel? How does it feel to know you, you are, you're the guy. And I was like, Wow. Oh, my God. Barbara Streisand said that I was the guy. And then, like, I was watching Jim Carrey walk by. And there were, I mean, every person that walked by was super famous. It was like what you, it it was like one of the only times I've ever been to a party where, like, what you would kind of imagine if you dreamed that you woke up and you were at a Hollywood party. It was all of the, I think, like, I feel like Mel Gibson was there. And I feel like, uh, I can't even remember. I think, like, Oprah was there. And. And all of these super famous people were there and, uh, and Barbara Streisand was there. And, and I came there as like the plus one to the trainer. And I, and I, when I walked out of there, I was like, I actually, I probably could have gotten invited to this party with that, without having that, you know what I mean? That connection is the weirdest thing. It was like, cause I've never, I never lived in Hollywood when I was coming up to where I ever walked up. I've never walked to a club and let someone let me in because of who I am. That's never happened to me. You know, like I just never, I, by the time anyone would know who I am, I kind of stopped going to clubs. And right, so right. like, that was the moment to me where like I walked to the front of the velvet rope and they let me in. Oh, I'd because say because of my face or whatever. It was pretty cool. Right. Right. 
Because when I hear, when I tell that story about Jim, people are like, wow, he, he said that. But it's like, I get it because like people like me have been coming up to Jim Carrey for decades telling him that. Like he does know. And also it doesn't mean anything. Like as no, much as you, as much as you, like I, I, in that moment, I wanted him to be moved by how much he moved me. Right. But it was impossible because you can't they've heard debate. it all before. They've heard yeah. that before. They know that before. And it's not that it's, it makes sense when you're on that. You're like, yeah, yeah I get that. I get that. Yeah. That I had that. I, I've had that effect on people. Uh, I've had thousands of people tell me that. And I, I, like, you know, it'd be great acting on his behalf if he, if he had, for my sake, had said, thank you so much. Oh, my God. Wow, that really means something to me. But it certainly wouldn't have been true. And I'm glad he didn't, like, duplicate me, you know? It's just yeah, like, I know. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting thing because it's like you could go – because I've had it where you talk to some some famous person, you know, and you tell them I loved you. And so they go, oh, thank you. And you get the sense that it's the first time they've ever heard it. Right. And, but it's actually better. They just go, yeah, no, yeah, right. For sure. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's more authentic. I mean, what do you want? You know, what do you want from them? You want like another great performance? Then, then you can get that. Maybe <laughs> they'll say, oh, we, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I mean, I guess you could do that. And it, it's probably the, the nicest thing to do, but at the same time, it can be exhausting to always have to perform, you know? And sometimes maybe you don't want to. Yeah. What's the name of the podcast? Literally. Oh, it's great. Right? That's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. That's a great it's, name. It's because li- it is literally a podcast at the end of the day. Yeah. It's literally Rob Lowe's podcast. Is that what it's called? Ooh, I like that. That's a bumper. Lit- this is literally Rob Lowe's podcast. Literally. <laughs> this it's is good shit. Literally Rob Lowe's podcast. You have a, you have a career as a voiceover artist. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. I'd be nice, huh? Never have to go anywhere again. Um, listen, I love you. Let's figure out when we can escape. I'd like that, man. Let's figure it out. All right. I love you. Love that you, was too, great. man. See you later. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. Oh, that was so fun. This podcast thing's kind of fun. I'm kind of liking it. I hope you guys like it. I'm not kidding. There are very few things you know, after 40 years that are new to me and this is new and it's really fun and I'm having a blast. And I, and I, and I love just having a chat like that. Yeah. Just, I was like two guys hanging out and, and you guys get to invite it, get to be invited into the, to the circle of conversation. And that's, that's what this is going to be from here on out. And, and we've got great people coming up and that was a great start. Um, Thank you to Pratt, 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 Pratt. Need to have him come back. He's the best. All right, folks. I will see you for uh, the second second podcast next week. Very exciting. Don't forget to download Literally with me, Rob Lowe. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced and engineered by me, Devin Tory Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile. Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blair. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been... 
a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher.